Now we just got to teach the adults those moves, right? <laughs> oh, that was awesome. You know, we just had an entire week of vacation Bible school here at our church. 200 kids were here uh, Monday through Friday. Lots of energy, lots of excitement, and you could see a little bit. So they just wanted to share uh, with us a little bit of their excitement of what happened this past week. Let's stand this morning as we go to our Father in prayer, and we're going to ask God to open our hearts. You know, I was uh, excited about sharing this message this morning. We're going to talk about how God holds our worlds together. Isn't that a great thought when we consider forest fires in British Columbia? Earlier there was flooding there last year, fires in Northwest Territories, there's tornadoes, earthquakes, all these things that are happening in our world. And sometimes we can get a little bit apprehensive. Isn't that true? And maybe you're here today and you've got problems in your life. And some of them are big problems. But I want you to know the one who created you has got you in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Amen? So, Father, we thank you this morning as we discover your word together, as we're listening at who you are, Jesus. I pray that you would capture our imagination, our affections, our understanding, Father, we would grasp why it is that you are so significant. And I just pray today that some of the things that trouble us in our lives, anxiety, fear, uh, you know, discouragement, despair, uh, anxiety, all of these elements in our life, Father, I know that you want to uh, help us learn to trust you so that we do not allow our own brokenness, our weakness, our apprehensions and fears to define our lives. But Lord, that we would be people that would love you, have faith in you, confidence in you, hope in you, Father, and we can, we can look at life courageously because of who you are. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians. You know, I'm going to come back to my series on uh, Jeremiah, but I just felt we needed to move away for a little while here, and we're looking at some other texts of Scripture. So Colossians, another New Testament book, chapter 1 and beginning in verse 15. How often do you and I need to be reminded of who is sufficient in every situation? You know, Jesus is the one who's able to hold things together even when it feels like our world is falling apart. Uh, PowerPoint isn't moving. Okay, Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, explains the identity and impact of Jesus Christ, not only upon our lives, but in reality upon all creation. And the Colossians were actually being challenged and confronted in their faith. The temptation was to vacillate under the pressure of people promoting other ways of thinking and living. I don't think we have to go very far to see that that's similar today. You know, Christians, at not ours, seemed out of step with the world around them, a world that was blending all kinds of various religious ideas and superstitions. I believe that one of the, you know, the good things about cultures coming together is we can learn from each other. One of the challenges about cultures coming together is we have a tendency to blend everything, like in a blender, and some ideas you know, don't go together. And that's what we're gonna discover today. As a matter of fact, John, uh, John MacArthur was talking about the spread of the heresy in the church at Colossae. And he says the heretics were denying that you know, Jesus was human, his humanity. 
They viewed Christ as one of the many lesser descending spiritual beings emanating from God. And the reason they thought this way was they taught a form of philosophical dualism, postulating that spirit was good and matter was evil. Hence, a good emanation like Christ could not take on a body composed of evil matter. Isn't that interesting? See how you, when you have a wrong idea, it ends up leading to some wrong conclusions, and as we're going to see, it ends up leading to even wrong living. Uh, he goes on to say the idea that God himself could become man, in their minds, was an absurd thought. Because we're going to look at who Jesus is. Jesus is actually God who becomes a man. But the people in Colossae couldn't believe that because they saw that uh, our bodies, which were material, were evil. The physical world was evil. And God being good could not create an evil world. And so they had a wrong understanding. He goes on to say, thus they were even denying his deity. That's the fact that Jesus is God. Nor was Christ adequate for salvation according to the heiress. Salvation, in their minds, required a superior mystical secret knowledge beyond that of the good news of the gospel of Christ. It also involved worshiping the good emanations or the angels and keeping the Jewish ceremonial law. So they had really created this, uh, what I call a hodgepodge. They blended ideas together to create this uh, false understanding. So Paul is trying to straighten them out. He had never been to Colossae. He had been preaching in Ephesus, and Colossae was one of the churches that was started as a result of Paul's ministry in Asia, but it was started by Epaphras. Yeah, and, uh, but some of these ideas that have floated into the church were wrong. Uh, you know, we're looking at similar pressures in our world today. We need to come to grips with some of the challenges in our time. Those in Colossae, they were under severe attack, in their minds, uh, they had a sense of inferiority. They, they were a minority group. Well, Christians today are becoming a minority group. There's many ideas out there that are seeming to be superimposing themselves on our culture. Uh, there were many voices making uh, bold assertions here. Oh, sorry. In a world of many ideas, the challenge of the Christian message is that there's only one way to God seem kind of out of step in that day. I mean, you know, it kind of seems out of step today. You know, we have an idea of pluralism. You know, all the same, all religions lead to the same place. That's the key idea nowadays. Everybody, you know, is okay to believe what they want to believe. It all gets us to God. And yet the Christian message doesn't teach that. Uh, as a matter of fact, our message seems rather intolerant today. It seems maybe even arrogant for some that we would say there's only, you know, one way to God. And that's through the person of Jesus Christ. But I want to explain to you why we would even think this way. Because I think once we discover who Jesus is, we can think of no other way. That's the, that's the reason. Uh, those living in Colossae were being attacked. And as I said, they had a sense of inferiority. And they were experiencing increasing hostility. And there was a sense that, you know, in that day that, they were questioning even the message of the gospel that had been brought to them. And I think there are many voices today uh, that are basically you know, challenging the Christian message. How many know it's a very bold and powerful declaration that salvation or having a right relationship with God is based on the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ? That's a very bold declaration today. You know, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. 
So what we have to understand is, is the message of the Christian church true? Is this the ultimate reality? And if Jesus is not just a man, but also the creator, then all creation then becomes accountable to him. And that's what Paul is gonna describe for us in the book of Colossae, that Jesus Christ is more than just a man. He's also the creator of the entire universe and that he created the means by which humanity and creation can come back into a right relationship with the creator. And we're gonna look at that this morning. You know, I think a lot of people today are even questioning the reliability and uh, the credibility of scripture. And we're seeing even the erosion of biblical standards and values. And we see also the increase of insensitivity today and sensuality. But you know, that's what Paul described even in his own time. Because that's what happens when people aren't close to God. This is the direction people go. Listen to how Paul describes it in the letter to the church at Ephesus. He said, he's speaking of non-believers now. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. In other words, people don't want to listen. They don't want to hear the message. There's a reason why, because people would prefer to be in darkness. People would prefer to live in sin and rebellion against God than to surrender their lives to God and and come to the knowledge of truth. Uh, He goes on to say, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. Now, let's take a pause for a minute. Is that kind of where we're at as a culture? We're losing a sense of real sensitivity towards one another, and we're giving ourselves over in this culture to sensuality. It's all about sex. It's all about uh, very, our very base uh, desires within the, our human body. Our human body is desiring, and we're giving into those very, uh, what I would call very earthly desires. To indulge in every kind of impurity, he said, with a continual lust or desire for more. In other words, uh, people are controlled by their, their appetites. That's what he's talking about here. They're not controlling their appetites. They're controlled by their appetites. That's how Paul describes it. Um, but what is equally frightening is that these pressures are even undermining people's confidence and trust in God. Hopelessness seems to be extending into many people's lives. The question is asked in light of the outward circumstances and realities of life. When we take a look at how, you know, we got wars, rumors of wars, there's, you know, all of these things happening, you know, weather-wise, you know, we're, we're trying to evaluate it. And of course, the answer today is, you know, it's all about our abuse of the planet and climate and all the rest of it. I'm going to say this. I think we need to steward our planet. I think Bible, the Bible teaches us very clearly But I think there's something far more significant to what's happening in our world today. And the Bible actually has an answer, and I'm gonna explain that today. But the question I'm raising today, is God really in control of our world? Or is this world just out of control, and we find ourselves hanging on for dear life, wondering how long will it take before we fall off or fall apart, you know? So, I mean, people are living in that kind of a frame of reference, you know, like how long can we continue to go in this direction? You know, somebody was saying, you know, things seem to be getting terrible and it's worse and it's the worst of times. Uh, I, I don't want to shatter that understanding, but it's not true. Times have been far worse than other centuries, and I was just listening to a university lecture on what happened in World War II to the siege of Leningrad, 
you know, three million people, and they had to, they were, they were besieged, and they were blockaded, and they had no way to get food for 900 days, and so, you know, of over three million people, one million people died of starvation, you know, they were losing 3,000 people a day, you know, it was very dramatic, so I'm just saying to us, there could be far worse times than this by a long shot. And if you, you want to dispute me on this, I can give you a good book to read in the 14th century. And by the time you get finished reading that book, uh, you'll realize that the, like, you know, the bubonic plague, you know, Black Death, destroyed between 50 and, uh, 30 and 50% of the European population. So, I mean, there's been times far worse than ours. Now, having said that... Uh, it's interesting that, well, let me, let me go here. Uh, Kazmir Drabisky, he was a professor at the University of Alberta, former professor. He, he talks a lot about this idea of positive disintegration. It's an interesting concept. You know, Ronald Roheiser says, it's kind of an oxymoron, you know, positive disintegration. But he does bring out... Uh, it's disintegr isn't disintegration the opposite of growth and happiness? That's usually how we look at it. It would seem not because human tells us that we usually grow by falling apart. Uh, in other words, many times in our, especially in our Christian journey, especially in our lives, many times it's the crisis in life that have actually brought about renewal in our lives. It's changed something in the inside of us. Now, I know other people when it happens, they fall apart. You know, they start self-medicating and they do other things. You can have the wrong response to that. So I just put, while that's true for some, for others, it buries them into addictions and despair. So in times of perplexity, confusion, despair, and a sense of hopelessness, what should our response be? And the answer is real simple. We need to look to Jesus. We really do need, do need to look to Jesus today because when we lose sight of him, I think what happens is we start focusing on ourselves, which many times is very discouraging, or we look at the problems around us and we start despairing over that. Or we look at the leaders above us and we go, those guys don't seem that competent. You know, I mean, there's just so many things to create you know, despair in our soul, but I'm saying we're not looking high enough. We gotta look up, we gotta look at Jesus, we gotta figure out who is he and what is he about and what's he doing and what is he about to do? And how do we fit into that equation? So I think we need to rediscover the person of Jesus, who he is and what he did, and how should that affect my living in this century? So here, uh, we're going to gain an understanding, number one, of, of last week I talked about our identity in God. Let's just talk about who God is, his identity in our lives. I think we need to experience the new creation. You say, what's that, Pastor? Well, we're going to look at it, because God is in the business of creating and recreating. And you and I need to be involved in that process. We need to experience recreation in our lives. And it's then that we engage with God's purposes for our lives. Something needs to change inside of us. That's what I'm talking about. So Paul now writing to the Colossians is encouraging them to stand complete in Christ. He wants them to have a correct vision of who God is in order to remain steadfast and strong in the faith. 
And God desires the same for us today. He wants us to remain steady in the storms of life. We're gonna have storms. I, I keep bringing that up, but it's true. Jesus says, in the world, you'll have tribulation. You'll have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's what he said. So let's look at Colossians 1, 15 to 23 this morning. We're gonna find two truths that are designed to sustain us when our world seems to be falling apart. Now, I know some of you in this room, your world seems to be falling apart. There's things happening in your lives. Well, the first thing we need to do when our world seems to be falling apart is focus in on who is Jesus. Who is he? And once we get a glimpse of who he really is, I think it's gonna change your whole focus and your understanding. Okay, that's the most important question. Jesus, the Bible says, is the exact image of God. Let's pick it up in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So, we are created as human beings. Go back to Genesis 1.26. It says, let us make man in our image. You know, John MacArthur says, like God, they possess intellect, emotion, and a will. That's the image that he's made us in. It's a rash, our rational personality. We're able to think, feel, choose. We humans are not, however, in God's image morally because God is holy and we're sinful. Sin came into the world and we are you know, affected by that. And so we're unlike God in that sense. Um, nor, nor are we created in his image essentially. In other words, we do not possess his, what they call his incommunicable attributes, such as omniscience, omnipotence, immutability, and omnipresence. What's he saying? He says, well, we're human, not divine. Or in other words, we're not God. And what does this really mean? Well, let me go back and break out those words a little bit for you. The word, what is he saying? When you're omniscient, that means you know everything. There's no one in this room that can say, I know everything. God can say that. God knows everything. You know, omnipotence means he's all-powerful. Every one of us in this room, we can't say that. We have limitations. Matter of fact, you'll find out as you get older, you have more you're, you're, you're more impotent all the time. You're just getting weaker all the time, right? And immutability, how many know what that means? That means, you know, change. Now, God never changes. Now, how many here say, well, I'm, I look over my life and I'm going, there's been a few changes. We're changing. And change is a part of the human condition. And also, how many know you're not omnipresent? That means you're everywhere present at, at, at all times. Uh, wouldn't that be fun, Right? Wow, I'd be everywhere present at one time. That, it might be scary too. You, know, it might, you might be bumping into things you don't want to bump into. But God knows everything. He's all powerful and he's everywhere present at once. That's amazing. The Bible says the universe can't even contain him. So we are not God. And yet as human beings, we try to play God. It's really funny. And we try to control things and... Uh, I'm gonna just let you know that you've never been in control. I've never been in control. We're not in control. But I know the one who is in control, and that's God. Uh, Ralph Martin relates the significance of the meaning of the word ekon, which is the word for image. And he says, uh, in ancient thought, ekon was believed not only to be a plastered representation of the object so portrayed, but was thought in some way to participate in the substance of the object it symbolizes. In other words, it's, 
It's part of it. And then he goes on, it has a share in the reality. It, it, indeed, it is the reality. That's a very big jump, but it says it's not just the image, it's the actual reality. Thus, Christ as God's image means that he's not a copy of God, or he's not like him. He is, he is the objectivization of God in human life. What's he saying? Big word, but he's just basically saying, uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus says it this way in John 14, 9. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm God. You know, it's not what Christians say about Jesus, you know, because there's, there's a teaching out there that says that the church said that Jesus is God, but Jesus never said it. No, Jesus said he's God. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He, Jesus was basically saying I'm God, and he made that declaration. We need to understand that. Now, when we, when we look at Scripture, and the Scriptures, you know, really bear this out. Look at, let's look at some other passages here in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now we have the Word is God, and the Word is distinct from God in the sense that he was with God. So he, there's a distinction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a distinction, but they're all God. It says, he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Um, we're going to read the next verse here in Colossians 1.16. You're going to find out Jesus is the creator. And in this verse in John chapter 1, he's with the Father, but he's also the creator. Because it says here in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus is also called the word. We need to know that. We have a true and not distorted picture of God found in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know what God is really like, read your, uh, your Gospels there and start reading about Jesus and you're going, oh, that's what, that's what God's like. And what we see is that God loves people. And we find out that God, you know, wants to address the problem in people's life and that's called sin. And he's willing to take on the penalty of our sin upon himself. And he becomes a substitute for our sin. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then he goes on here to talk about, uh, well, Paul even describes Jesus this way in Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, this is what God, would, God looks like when he's in a bodily form, like Jesus. Jesus is God in bodily form. That's what we need to understand. He's the firstborn over all creation. This is a very confusing word. And a lot of times we read these words and we're, they're totally misunderstood. Some groups have used this passage to suggest that Jesus was a created being. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. And what they're saying is that Jesus is the son of God and that Jesus was the first creation in the created world. Now, you can't interpret it that way and stay true to scripture because the very next verse in Colossians says, for by him, let's go back, verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Then it says, for by him, speaking of Christ, all things were created. Now, how many of you know that you can't, you know, you're not, you're not created and then you're you know, creating the rest of the creation. Jesus is at the beginning. As a matter of fact, when you read in the book of Revelation, he's the alpha and the omega. Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the eternal one. As a matter of fact, in, in uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is talking about Jesus was going to be born 
in the place of Bethlehem, he's talking about the, the ancient one. That's speaking again, another name of God. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authority, all things were created by him and for him. So we need to hear this messaging because I think sometimes we have this attitude, I'm gonna take God on my terms. You know, as if God, you know, created you and me so that, you know, we, he would serve us. That's, that's, our, that's a distorted understanding. You and I were created by God in order to serve him, in order to bring glory and honor to him. God has a purpose in our lives. And every time we deviate from God's purposes, we're deviating from bringing glory to God. And that's the nature of sin. For all of sin and fall short of what? The glory of God. And so you and I were designed by God to give glory to God. And when we don't bring glory to God, that's what the nature of sin is. A lot of people are they're not living for him. They're living for themselves. And they're taking God in on the equation because they feel like God's going to help them live the best life. But we're created for him. Are we catching on? This is so critical. This is, if you just get a hold of this one thought in this, this, this sermon today, it could change the whole, whole shift of your life. It could be a, such a paradigm shift if you thought about it. Just say to yourself, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live entirely for Christ. It's not what I want in life. It's what he wants in life. And the moment I move and make that decision, it changes the whole orientation of my life. And I'm going to argue with you that the moment you do that, you're going to begin to discover life at a whole new level. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to its fullest. And most people aren't living that life because they're living not for him. But the moment I fully give myself to do his will in my life, it changes everything about it. Now this word firstborn is speaking of rank or position. And I like how uh, Thomas Trevanthan writes about it. He says the term firstborn is commonly used to mean supreme or sovereign. That is having the rights of the firstborn. The best illustration of this usage is found in Psalm 89.27. By the way, I've actually used this verse with the Jehovah's Witness, and they didn't understand it until I brought them to this verse. They'd never seen this before. I was having a discussion with them, because this is the verse they point to that Jesus is the firstborn. I go, yeah, but you don't know what the word means. And when I brought them over to here and showed them this, it was a little bit of an eye-awakening. It says, where God says of the king, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, speaking of David, was David the first king? No, Saul, Saul was. No, he's talking about rank. He said the king is not the first king ever to exist. Firstborn is a synonym for the highest of the kings of the earth. And that's why in Revelation, he's called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The firstborn means supreme in rank as confirmed by what Paul says in the following verses. Jesus is the agent of all creation and exists before all things. Verse 17. Um, where we read here, Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. He's not classed with the creatures but with the creator. Now, John MacArthur says it this way, firstborn clearly means highest and ranked, not first created. Jesus Christ is the creator. Along with God the Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit, sorry, the, we find Jesus is involved in creation. In Colossians 1.16, 
It says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether throne, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created for, for, by him and for him. Now writing to the Hebrews, he says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So what is happening? God is speaking things into being. It's called the fiat. God just speaks it and it happens. By the way, a lot of people in the Christian community are teaching a false idea that you and I can speak things into creation. Only God can do that, folks. That's God's job, not ours. Now, I believe we can say things and have impact and influence. Yeah, I, I have no problem with that. But I don't believe we're God. We're not creating things, you know. Oh, uh, I want a Mercedes. Boom, there it is. No, it's not, that's not how it works, guys. Okay. God spoke the worlds into being. Look at Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was formless, empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's the Holy Spirit. Then God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. The word, see, the word was there. Jesus is the agent in creating light. He's the word. The father spoke. Boom, it happens. Now, uh, Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher. Jesus Christ is not just a prophet. You know, he's not one of many gods in the world. All the gods in the world, by the way, are, are, are demons or fallen angels. He's the creator of the universe. He created all of the angelic beings. He's above all authorities, all rulers, all powers, all thrones. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Uh, and as a matter of fact, because he's our creator, all creation is accountable to their creator. We need to understand that. So you and I are going to be answerable to God for how our life was spent and utilized. We're accountable to him because he's our creator. Not only is he our creator, but he's our sustainer. Jesus enables and sustains life. Everything is under his control. You know, it says in Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's very interesting. I was reading an article about uh, uh, neutrons and protons, and they can't figure out how these things are holding together. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is holding it together. You know, there was a little... Uh, spiritual, that went something like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. I love that song. That's what's happening. God has got this world in his hands. It's under control. You go, well, pastor, it just seems like it's you know, random and it's falling apart and all the rest of it. I'm gonna explain to you why is it that our world seems to be coming apart? Well, because of sin. That's the right answer, because of sin. And we're gonna see that in the book of Romans, Paul talks about even the created world is groaning, waiting for its redemption. But I like what Victor Hugo says, have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. And when you have finished your daily tax tasks, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. What's he saying? You and I fret and worry and get anxious about what? God knows all these things. He's in control. He knows where your life is at. You and I just need to be in communion with him. Regardless of our circumstances and situation, scripture says God never sleeps nor slumbers. We're encouraged by scripture to cast our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. 
We need to release those anxious thoughts. We need to know that God can handle life. We don't have to have, you know, be in control of everything. We need to allow him to be in control of everything. You know, the reason why our world has not fallen apart at the hands of sinful and evil people is that God is in control. You know, when you study history, it's fascinating. Some of these rulers and dictators and world emperors, you know, they thought they were gonna take over the entire world and they were gonna enslave all of humanity. But you know what happens in the end? They come to naught because God is still in control. God uses all of these things for various reasons. You know, as I said before, even though our, our creation groans, we see it. Uh, you know, things like tornadoes and hurricanes and fires and floods and all the things we call natural causes. The reality is that it's the world groaning under the travail of sin. That's, Paul says that in Romans chapter eight in verses 26 to 29, read it. You know, it's waiting for its redeemer. It's waiting for its redemption. Well, let me move on to the second truth. You know, first one is we need to understand who Jesus is. Who is he? He is the creator. He is supreme. He's over all. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. How many are getting the picture? He's the one that created our world. He's the one we're accountable to. He's the one that's sustaining our world. He's the one that's in control of our world. Well then, what's the second thing we need to do? We need to allow him to impact our lives. We need to, I'm basically saying we need to surrender to him. We need to trust in him. We need to stop trying to figure everything else and, and get all worked up about things. We need to learn how to trust him. Jesus can, uh, he can not only help us, he can change us. This is the part I like. You know, how many know it's difficult to change? Anybody figured that out yet? How many have tried to change? How many know it's hard to change? How many know you need assistance in changing? How many know you need God's help to change? And especially when we're dealing with issues in our soul that you know, seem so ingrained inside of us and we're broken in this area, we need God to come and bring healing and restoration and renewal and transformation in our lives. And God wants to do that. You know, we're often derailed in our lives because the focus is on our weaknesses or the challenges that seem beyond us. In our desire to make God more accessible, we often focus on the humanity of Jesus. And I don't think anything's wrong with that. There's a sense we can identify with him. But we have to look beyond that and know that Jesus is actually the one who's ruling and reigning over the universe. He's our, re not only is he our creator, he's our redeemer. And he's not only the God of creation, but he's the God of the new creation, the church. You know, the church is not brick and mortar. You know, well, it's nice to have a nice building, but that's not what makes up a church. What makes up a church are the people in it who have been redeemed, who have experienced this new creation, who've received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Listen to what Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's using this analogy. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. See, he's the first, that went, first in rank here. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Jesus, you know, to have the fullness of God dwelling in you, that, I mean, you know, Jesus was without sin. There's just so many things. Jesus is a unique person. Uh, and, and it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. And through him, through whom? Through Christ. Christ is the one that helps you and I become reconciled to God. To become reconciled to our creator. How? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we put our faith in him, he helps us become reconciled to the Father. 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. Here we have a picture from his incarnation when he came to earth as a man to his resurrection from the dead. N.T. writes, as the exaltation of Christ after his work on the cross gives him publicly the status which he always in fact enjoyed as a right. The puzzle is caused by sin. Though always Lord by right, he must become Lord by fact, defeating sin and death. And folks, that's exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus died, the Bible says sin, could, sin and death couldn't hold him. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. You know, when you're conducting a funeral and everybody's promoting everybody into heaven, I'm going, how in the world are they doing that? You know, think about this for a minute. How do you overcome death? What's the reason why we don't have to fear death anymore? Because Jesus Christ came to conquer death. And because he rose from the dead, you and I can have a confidence that when we put our faith in Christ, we too will rise from the dead. That's a powerful truth and we hang on to that. That's where our hope is lying. Uh, well, he goes on to say here, uh, ex, uh, author Max Licato describes this pivotal nature of the cross in history. It says, it rests on the timeline of history like a compelling diamond. Its tragedy summons all sufferers. Its absurdity attracts all cynics. Its hope lures all searchers. History has, has idolized uh, and despised it. Gold-plated and burned it, warned and trashed it. History has done everything but ignore it. We're talking about the cross here. How could you ignore such a piece of lumber suspended on its beams as the greatest claim in history, a crucified carpenter claiming to be God on earth, divine, eternal, the death slayer. Never has timber been regarded so sacred. No wonder the apostle Paul calls the cross event the core of the gospel. It's bottom line sobering. Uh, if the account is true, it's history's hinge, period. If it's not, the cross is history's hoax. Which is the cross for you, hinge or hoax? Or in the words of Jesus, who do you say that I am? Very powerful. God reconciling all things through what Jesus did on the cross. This reconciliation does not just extend to people, but towards all creation. All creation was affected by the fall of man. Death and decay have been the result. But the resurrection of Jesus means that everything will one day be affected as a result. See, we're living in a moment right now between uh, God's beginning promise and reality and to its ultimate fulfillment. We're in the now and not yet. You see, the salvation started at the cross is moving across through human history till it comes to the end of this culmination where everything that Jesus came to do will be realized. That's powerful. Do you know all injustice will be dealt with? All sin, all death, all dying, all of that will be taken away. You know, Read the last book of the Bible. That's what it's all about. He goes on to say here in conclusion, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Just unpack that for a minute. Why are people enemies in their, you know, why are people at enmity with God. Why is it that they're fighting in their minds? Because of their evil behavior. The reason why people are not coming to Christ isn't because it's, it's, because it's intellectually un, unacceptable. It's because they don't want to change. It's a moral issue, not an in, intellectual issue. There's the problem. People want to remain in sin. People want to remain in darkness. They don't want to come to the light. They don't want to be set free. That's, the, that's what he's telling us there. 
He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Wow. Listen, if you thought about it, if everything I just said is true, which I believe it is, and I've lived my entire life believing, not my entire life, but since I've become a Christian, all my life, this has become stronger and stronger to me. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the greatest hope that people have today is finding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest problem in our world today is sin that leads to death. And death, by the way, isn't just physical. It's also spiritual death, which leads to the brokenness of relationships. And you know what? How many here can say the most painful things in my life have been the deterioration of meaningful relationships? How many say that's true? It is true, isn't it? That's what, that's what sin brings. You know, the dissolving of relationships, the brokenness. I mean, you know, we see it in addictions. I can go down the line. I can just talk about all the problems that our world is faced with. You know, here's the good news. You and I can't save ourselves. Sin is too strong for us. We need a savior. It goes against our pride to say, you know, I need help. I need help in God. But I like what John Chrysostom wrote. Even if we stood at the very summit of virtue, even if we were the most pious person alive, it is by mercy that we shall be saved. It's not by how good you are. It's by what Jesus Christ did. You see, the good part of life, I mean, that's wonderful. And God wants us to do good. And we should do good. But that's not what saves us from our sin. We're saved because of what Christ did. And because of that, God begins to change us from the inside out. He changes our nature. You know, I'm going to close with uh, uh, Peggy Noonan. Peggy Noonan was a journalist. And she, you know, she wrote a lot. Actually, I read one of her books on uh, Ronald Reagan. I, I was intrigued by his life, and I read it. She was the author. And she wrote in this uh, article from Forbes called You'd Cry If It Happened to You. She shares how 11 men and women were asked to answer the question, why are we so unhappy? They all agreed we were unhappy because we had lost uh, our moral and spiritual center. Interesting. Noonan, who's quoting uh, W.H. Auden, called his age the age of anxiety. I think what was at the heart of the dread in those days was that we could tell we were beginning to lose God. Banishing him from the scene and from our own consciousness, losing the assumption that he was part of the daily drama or its maker. It's a terrible thing when people lose God. Life is difficult and people are afraid and to be without God is to lose man's greatest source of consolation and coherence. You know what she's doing? She's just summarizing what Paul says to us in Ephesians. That when we're without God, we're without hope. And when you're without hope, you gotta do something. You know, and a lot of people today are self-medicating. That's what they're doing. They just can't handle life. It's overwhelming. They, they're, they're trying to be so distracted by just being in the moment. They don't wanna have to deal with all of the things around them. Can I just tell you that's not the way to do it? That's like living like an ostrich, sticking your head in the sand and hoping everything bad's gonna go away. It's not gonna work. Why don't we become realists? Why don't we accept the fact that our world is broken and it's in terrible shape and the only hope for this world is Christ 
And the only answer to that is that you and I as believers be go out and share good news. And the good news is this, that there's someone who loves them and died for them, just like he did for us. I mean, someone came to me. Someone talked to me about Jesus. And the fact that that happened, I, I, I embraced this good news about Jesus Christ and he saved me from my sin and gave me hope for an eternal future. That's the message we need to be sharing with our society today. So, oh, there's so much to say, but I'm gonna close right now. Why don't we stand? You know, you're here today. You know, my, my prayer and hope is that two things will happen. Here's the first thing. Number one, if you're a believer today, and you've lost sight of who Jesus is, and you've allowed the problems and difficulties and the challenges, maybe the difficulties within or the pressure from without, you've lost a focus of who Christ is. I want to just remind you today, he is the creator of all things. He's holding your world together. He's got your world in his hands. You don't have to allow anxiety to take over and define your life. You don't have to allow fear to define you and take over your life. You don't have to live with a state of perplexity and hopelessness. He's in control, folks. You and I just need to trust him with all of our hearts. But if you're here today and you go, man, I've never heard this stuff before. This is brand new to me. You know, that there's a God in heaven who created all of this world and created you and me for a purpose to bring glory and honor to him. And I've never heard that. And I don't even know him, but I'd love to get to meet the God who created me and be reconciled to him and restored to him. And God begin to bring about healing into the broken places of my soul that's my prayer, is that you'll get to know him today. That you'll respond to him and say, I need this savior for my life. I need to get past the brokenness in my soul. I need to receive Christ as Lord and savior because in reality, he is. He is Lord and savior, even though you may not be professing him right now. There's coming a day, the Bible says that every knee shall bow down before him and confess that he is Lord. It'll happen because he's coming back to this planet. He came once before, but he's coming back again. That's his promise. The same Jesus whom you now see leaving, he said, will return in the same way. He's coming in the clouds of glory with all of his angels. It's gonna be a beautiful moment. It's happening. It's gonna happen, folks. We have something to look forward to. So with every head bowed this morning, you're here today. Maybe you're in the first group. You say, Pastor, my world is so fragmented and broken, I lost sight of how great God is right now. Maybe that's you. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you today. Maybe you just feel overwhelmed by the things in your soul or in your personal world. And you just want God to just reassure you today. He's got your world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's in control. And he's taking you on a journey. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you shall complete it. I stand on that. God started a work in me. God started to work in you. He's going to finish that work. How powerful is that? Maybe you're here today. You can lower your hands. Maybe you're here today. I'm going to pray in a minute. You can lower your hands. This other group now. Maybe you're here today. Say, so you know, Pastor, Jesus has not been in my life. He's not my Savior. He's not my Lord. But as I'm hearing today, you're telling me he's the creator and he's the, he's the one who died for me to bring me back to my original purpose, which is to bring glory and honor to God. That's the reason you're on this planet. 
You may not have known that, but that's the reason. And when you and I make that the reason, it changes our life. We now, go, we now live for the right reason. And we're living for the right purpose, to bring glory and honor to God. And if that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning as I close in prayers. Anybody here this morning, you say, I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I want to live for him now. I want to be reconciled to the Father. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. You are here. You're in our midst, Lord. And you know the challenges that are facing different individuals today. You're the one who created this world. You're the one who redeemed this world. And you're in the process of redeeming this world. Just like you're in the process of not only saving us, but continuing to save us until ultimately we're fully saved. We have a brand new body. There's no sin anymore in our lives because that's been eradicated. It's been dealt away with. We're in your presence. What an amazing place to be. Lord, we have fulfilled the purpose for which you designed us to be at this time in history. We just thank you for that, Lord. I just pray today, strengthen and encourage us. Help us to get a vision of you as the almighty God. There's nothing too hard for you. You're the creator. You know, our problems pale in comparison to your ability to handle them. And so right now, I want to just uh, cast my cares on you. All my anxious worries, all my thoughts, all the things that are distressing my soul, I just lift them before you, the one who's in total control of my life. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.